Now, we all want well-behaved kids. Today, we're going to talk about grace-based parenting. Karis Kimmel-Murray is the author of Grace-Based Discipline and creative director of Grace-Based Families, a ministry whose internationally hosted parenting and marriage events, radio and television broadcasts, articles, videos, websites, and best-selling books written by Karis' parents and Grace-Based Families founders, Dr. Tim and Darcy Kimmel. Karis writes and speaks for Grace-Based Families as a voice to the next generation of parents. Karis is co-host of Family Matters Minute, a nationally syndicated one-minute radio segment heard by millions of listeners every weekday. Welcome to the Gems of Motherhood, Karis. It's so good to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, absolutely. Now, Karis, I've heard of positive parenting. I've heard of gentle parenting. Tell me, I've also heard of grace-based parenting, but I would love to hear from you. Tell me a little bit more of what is grace-based parenting? The most succinct way to describe grace-based parenting is that it is parenting our kids the way that God parents us. Mm. And so, you know, in the Bible, God refers to himself as father. That's Mm -hmm. the name he gives himself. And when Jesus prays in the New Testament, when he does the, you know, the famous Lord's Prayer, where Mm -hmm. he's teaching us to pray, he says, our father who art in heaven, right? Mm -hmm. And so he teaches us that we can see God as our father Mm -hmm. and he's a good father. And so the way that God relates to his people, to his sons and daughters, to his children, uh, is through grace. And grace is, I think, best defined as um, unmerited favor, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Getting, getting what we desperately Don't. need, regardless right. of what we deserve. Right. <laughs> right? Um, and so if you apply that concept then to relationships, it's amazing how the Bible it's not just this document, this ancient document that, that occasionally mentions fathers and sons or parents and children. You know, there's a smattering of verses through the Bible, maybe a dozen, right, mm-hmm. to talk about that. And, but when you see it through the lens of God as our father, we're his children, and, you know, you look at, at it through that lens, you suddenly see that what the Bible is, is a parenting book. Mm. Because every interaction that God has with his people is a parenting interaction. Right. And you can see then that it's just right on the surface of this book that we can turn to for mm-hmm. our everyday life to help mm-hmm. us. And so that's grace-based parenting. It's, it's treating the people that God has put in our life for us to love the way that he treats us. Right. And also just looking at the character of God, where he is patient, he's kind, he's loving, he is gentle. Exactly. Um, yes. And he's merciful. You know, right. He's merciful. He's gracious, you know. Um, and, you know, just thinking about the character of God. And I would love uh, to hear some examples from you. You know, how is how is teaching obedience different within the grace-based parenting method? Because 
it's a tough subject matter, right? When you're teaching mm-hmm. a child how to obey, because if let's just say we read Adam and Eve and we read about um, Jesus and the, the coming of Jesus in the New Testament, if you're reading to a child about Adam and Eve, how they disobeyed God by eating the apple and then the, the consequences was they got thrown out of the Garden of Eden, right? And um, and obviously in the New Testament, Jesus died for us on the cross for our sins because he loves us. So can you share some examples? How can we teach our children obedience? Hmm. Well, a couple of things. I love, I love the example you gave about Adam and Eve. Um, a couple of things that you see in terms of the character of God is that all throughout Scripture— it is a story of him pursuing our hearts, mm. constantly pursuing our hearts. And although Adam and Eve did disobey him in the garden, and there were consequences for that choice, it was God who came to them in the cool of the day in the garden and said, where are you? Mm. What are you doing? You know, they had woven their little fig leaf, uh, you know, thongs mm-hmm. and bikinis and put those on. And, and God has said, you know, what have you done? And they said, well, we're naked. And he said, well, who told you you were naked? Mm. It's him pursuing them mm. even when they disobeyed. And so this this relationship that we have with God is one in which he has standards. He expects for us to obey him but he knows that we won't Mm. (laughs) and he still pursues our hearts even when we don't. Right. Yeah. And so, so I get this question a lot, like, okay, well, you know, so you wrote a book about how to teach your kids how to obey, you know, Mm -hmm. because my book is called grace-based discipline. Mm -hmm. And I'm always quick to say, no, I wrote a book about what to do because your kids will not obey. Mm. You know, I start from the assumption mm-hmm. that our kids are not going to obey us, mm-hmm. especially not, you know, they're ne- never going to perfectly obey us, right. but they're not even going to a little bit obey us um, unless we teach that. Mm-hmm. And discipline, part of discipline is what you do when they disobey. Um, and so uh, it, it's funny, it, it seems to take when I've had conversations like that with parents, especially moms, you know, and moms of young kids, young Mm -hmm. toddlers, where they're in the teaching training phase so deeply at that point of development with their kids, you're teaching them everything that they need to know about the world, about how to behave appropriately, about taking care of themselves, safety, everything, right? So um, when I say no, you're not looking for immediate, perfect obedience. That is not the standard (laughs) by which you should hold yourself to. Right. Because guess what? Do you immediately, perfectly obey God all the time? Yeah, you're right. I don't. (laughs) I don't. And even when I clearly understand what he is asking me to do. If it's something I don't want to do, I am very stubborn, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've had a relationship with the Lord for decades. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet still it, it often takes me a while to obey. 
when I know that there's something I'm supposed to do or not supposed to do. Right. Um, and yet he continues to pursue my heart and say, Karis, I love you. I want the best for you. I'm not asking you to do this to appease me in some way. I'm already pleased with you, but I want your ultimate joy. Mm-hmm. I want your best good. And that's why God has his rules and standards. It's not for him. Right. It's for us. And so we can emulate that in our homes where we, we set up a climate and a culture of grace in our homes. Yeah. That has a lot to do with rules and how we make rules and how many rules we have and um, what those rules are about. And I talk about that in my book. But, you know, if we can set up a climate where we give the people we love as much freedom as possible um, with some pretty important, clear boundaries, mm-hmm. um, then when they step over those boundaries in love, there are corrections and consequences we can emulate that that similar relationship that God has with us. Right. I love um, that. And when you said, you know, God pursues us with his love. And obviously yes. his love is unconditional because he's so patient. We are so unlike him. And that, right. like you said, we we um, crave for an immediate respond from our children to immediately obey but um which is which is not an easy task especially for young children their minds are just all over and Mm -hmm. they don't even really think about that um and you know the scripture says do not spare the rod uh Mm -hmm. i I would love for you to kind of define that a little bit more and how it coincides with grace-based discipline and does not because i know that it's not you know grace-based discipline is not based on fear but it's based Mm -hmm. on grace and the love of God. And like you said, you know, the way God loves us. And, um, and so in the Bible, when it says, do not spare the rod, you know, how do you, I mean, how do you suggest for us to stay away from that yelling or that Mm -hmm. spanking, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, towards our children in order to get them to obey? How can we reach their hearts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting the that that term, you know, rod where that verse comes from, don't spare the rod, which many people have interpreted literally as as um spanking. Um it's the same word that in Psalm 23 Mm-hmm. Um, which is going to be very familiar to many people. That's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? Mm-hmm. Well, part of that uh, psalm is thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Okay, it's the same word. Um, and, and that it, it's it's in this within this metaphor of a shepherd mm-hmm. um, in, in that uh, poem, that that song, right? And so he's, David is saying, your rod and your staff comfort me. And I've always thought that that is a better lens through which to understand the discipline of God, mm-hmm. that it is a comfort. It is a kindness because it isn't kind to raise our kids um, and allow them to grow up to be jerks in a mm-hmm. world that doesn't suffer fools. It is, it's not kind. Right. It's not gracious. It's not loving to raise them up to think that 
they can make choices and have no negative consequences. Yeah. So in terms of that, that concept, the rod, don't spare the rod, meaning discipline your kids, teach them that choices have consequences, teach them that there are boundaries within which if they live, it will result in their joy, Mm -hmm. their greater joy. And again, you know, God expects us to obey him. He knows that we won't a lot of the time. And even when we do, we won't do it perfectly. He understands that. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it's about him wooing us, Mm. wooing our hearts, turning our hearts to him. And we obey him because we love him. Right. You know, we don't have a God sitting up in heaven waiting for us to screw up so he can lower the boom. That's not the character of God. And, and I'm, I'm, I apologize on behalf of people who have led uh, others, believers, to, to think and to believe and to feel that that's the kind of father that God is. Mm. I think it's unfortunate. Right within Christianity, especially within certain branches of evangelical Christianity, that we have created a picture of a God who's waiting up in heaven for us to screw up. Because that's not where he is. He continues to turn his face to us. You know, Adam and Eve in the garden ate the apple, screwed up. God was immediately at their side saying, where are you? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know, outside of the garden, Cain kills Abel. Right after it happens, God comes to Cain and says, where is your brother? Right. <laughs> you know, he's, he's constantly pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. And so as his children, we have a seat at his table, mm-hmm. at his feast, at his banquet, because of who we are in Christ, because we are his sons and daughters, not because of our behavior. Now, our behavior is going to have consequences, but that consequence is never a broken relationship with God. Right. And the same is true with our kids, right? Choices have consequences. There are boundaries and limitations. And when you surpass those things, when you step over those lines, sometimes there's natural consequences that you allow to befall your kids so that they learn. Sometimes there's physical or emotional pain that comes from those things. Pain is a very good teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to, I think as parents, we, we have to stop ourselves from trying to block all of that pain from our kids. Mm. And, and it's a temptation because we don't like to see our kids in pain. Right. Pain is a very effective teacher and it's real. Mm-hmm. So when they do something that could result in, you know, especially emotional pain, like hurting their friend's feelings or lying to somebody who is, is you know, important to them and, and having uh, that relationship kind of get affected, you know, we have to let those things befall our kids. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes we have to enact consequences. Um, and, but, but it never means that that relationship is cut off because our favor for them our love for them, our right. esteem for them is never because of what they do or don't do. Right. Yeah. If that makes sense. I mean, it, it's, it's a very, we found over the years that it's once people make some of these key shifts in how they think about parenting, once they start to see it through the lens of grace, 
yeah. and God's favor for us. And then our, it, taking that grace and sending it out to the people around us. It, it's, it's a very key shift. Once you start making that shift in your mind, it's like seeing the matrix, right? <laughs> it's like right. your yeah, eyes yeah. open up and you go, oh my gosh. Like It is true. It, but it, I mean, sometimes it's just really, it's not easy to apply it, right? Because yes, I mean, as we always pray, Lord, you know, make us more like you. And when we pray that God is going to challenge us even more. (laughs) And so, you know, as we talked about Adam and Eve, how Adam and Eve disobeyed God and um, they didn't listen, even though, even though God told, told them, do not eat the fruit. Right. And sometimes it is really difficult to get our children to listen. How can we get them to listen? Great question. <laughs> they, they don't very easily and they don't always. And again, I think it's important that we approach this idea from a, a perspective of, um, n- uh, of assuming that they're not going to listen sometimes, mm-hmm. a lot of the time, assuming that, that they are sinners right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who they a, are sinners. Ultimately, <laughs> who ultimately need a savior to transform right. their heart from the inside out. And that's something we can pray for. And as we're praying, we can parent them and discipline them with grace mm-hmm. to show them because we are kind of the first view of God that our kids ever know. Mm-hmm. We're the lens through which they see God. But understanding that they're not going to listen And when they do listen, they're not going to listen perfectly. They're not going to obey. And when they do obey, they're not going to obey perfectly. We need to release ourselves as parents from that expectation. Mm -hmm. And we need to release our kids from that expectation. Mm -hmm. And when I tell moms that, it's like they breathe a huge sigh of relief. Because I'm like, I don't know who told you that you should expect instant first-time obedience from your kids. I mean, I do know who told you. I've read those books too, right? I know where that comes from, but I don't know where it comes from though. Like I I understand that that is written in some parenting books that people have read. Um, I don't understand why. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is not a standard that, I think we just need to release that tyranny of perfectionism Mm -hmm. on ourselves and on our kids. And that's so easy, especially for mothers to carry the burden of perfection. I think that pretty much happens to almost all mothers because I feel like, you know, we probably carry so much on our shoulders. And sometimes you tend to forget that, you know, God gives us grace. We have to give our children grace too, you know? Yes, yes. Um, yes. But like you and said, to let go of the expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let, let go of those unfair, unrealistic expectations. Mm-hmm. Now, grace, you know, I, I think we talked about what grace does mean. I think it's important to mention a few things that grace isn't mm-hmm. in order to understand better what it is. You know, mm-hmm. grace doesn't necessarily mean nice. It doesn't necessarily mean easygoing. Mm-hmm. It certainly doesn't mean pushover. It doesn't mean the absence of rules and standards and consequences because that's not how God approaches us. That's not, uh, you know, that we we don't see any evidence of that. As we read the Bible and understand God's character, he's also just, he also is um, all-knowing. 
And so when he has standards and rules, he expects for people to follow them. And when they don't, there's either an imposed consequence by God or there is a natural consequence of that brokenness. Yeah. Yeah. It comes out in our lives and relationships. Right. And earlier on, we talked about how God pursues us with his love and, you know, he pursues us all the time, even when we fail. And, you know, when we think about young children, obviously as they're growing and they're young, they can't really identify or communicate the emotions that they may be feeling. And they may just be lashing out because they don't understand um, how to express themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I would love it if you could kind of share an example. Let's just say there is a kid who pushes another kid and you tell the kid, stop pushing that person, you Mm -hmm. know, and then when she goes back home and she does the same thing to the parents and you have to keep saying that over and over again. um, I mean, is that a waste of time or is there a different way or an example that you could share how, you know, we could love on them, but yet, like you said, grace does not mean no pain, right? Right. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I'd love for you if you could just share an example. Um, You know, I think how you... We'll go with the example that you shared because that's something that you typically see happen with a very young child, right? Mm -hmm. A toddler age child. Um, And we, you know, all parents work pretty hard to quell that kind of behavior in our kids, um, you know, before they get older. And right. so I think a good rule of thumb with any kind of behavior seeing from that you see from your child is what I call the 10 year rule. Yeah. So take that same behavior and put 10 years onto their age and ask yourself a couple questions. Say, is it likely that if that they're going to continue doing this in 10 years? Mm-hmm. Like, is it likely that they'll that this pushing behavior that they're going to be doing it when they're 13. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they could be right. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's something like not wanting to eat their dinner or getting up out of bed after you've put them down to bed or mm-hmm. getting into your bed at night when you've asked them to stay in their own bed. Mm-hmm. I think those are examples of things that when you attach 10 years to that, it's right. highly unlikely that they're going to be doing that. Yeah. You know, and you might actually want them to get in your bed and snuggle with you a little bit when they're (laughs) older, but they don't, you know, they don't do those things forever. So it helps you identify what kind of behaviors are the most important for you to deal with Mm -hmm. when they're very young, because they throw a lot at you all day, every day. And so you have to sort of decide what hills you're going to die on, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I say in my book, you know, as parents, we're a little bit more like Super Mario mm-hmm. than anything else. You know, we've got multiple lives. We have multiple hills we can die on in this thing called parenting, but we can't die on every hill mm-hmm. all the time. Um, we have to save our breath for when it really is vital. So things like pushing or violence, those have to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Things like um, dishonesty, right? That is something that if it continues to work for that child, if being dishonest gets them what they want or need, they're going to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one I take very, very seriously. And it's something we have to model as Mm -hmm. adults. So being honest, but also be authentic, which Mm -hmm. is is a, a broader idea 
of honesty, right? Um, being an authentic person in everything. Um, and, and so when our kids do lie and, and when they're little, you know, first of all, if your kid lies when they're super little, say a little, have a little celebration in your head because that's actually an important developmental part Austin. of their brain development, right? Interesting. The ability, the abil- okay, so this is just one way that you it helps you not to take these things as personally. It helps you to put them in perspective. Right. So little kids, when they lie, it requires a certain amount of cognition, creativity in their brain to come up with these things. Mm-hmm. Um, animals do not lie right? This is a, this is a human ability because of our intellect. So say, you know, have a little celebration in your head that yay, their brain is developing the way that it should. Mm-hmm. But then you have to correct and you say, what you just said isn't true. And in our family, we always tell the truth, mm-hmm. right? Or you can say something like what, what you just said, honey, was a lie. And we don't lie. I don't lie to you. And I need you to, to always tell me the truth, right? I think it's, it's important to separate the behavior from, from their personhood too. So if, if you catch the nuance of how I talked about that, I didn't say you're a liar. Right. Right. Or if they hit their friend or their sister, you don't say you're mean. Right. Right. You can say that was unkind. Mm-hmm. We do, we never use violence. We do not hurt people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to say it a lot and over and over and over. And I do think for things like physical harm or violence, that those are times when physical discipline is appropriate. Now, I'm not necessarily saying spanking, although I will say I am not personally anti-spanking. Mm-hmm. I'm also not pro-spanking. I feel mm-hmm. like it is it is a tool as long as you're sort of in, you know, that's like there's these two, these two camps, the spanking camp and the anti-spanking camp. Right. I feel like if you're in the grace camp, you can fall wherever you want to fall on that. within the context of grace, okay? But there's a whole lot of research that says and shows that it, first of all, doesn't work very well. Yeah. Um, And that it might do harm, right? So I'm I'm telling parents, this this is up to your own conscience, but there's a lot you can do that isn't spanking. But in terms of physical discipline, physically picking up, and this works when your child is smaller than you, right? But physically picking them up and moving them quickly. Remove remove them from that situation like they just got, like, vaporized and put into another room. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's jarring. It doesn't hurt them in any way. It's not physically harmful, mm-hmm. but it is a, a physical form of discipline that responds quickly to a physical form of violence. Right. So they know I pushed and now I, it was like, you know, it was like the sky opened up and I was instantly somewhere else. Yeah. I was instantly in the corner. Yeah. I was instantly in the other room. I was instantly in my bedroom. Um. And, and again, this, it's a tool. It's not the only thing you can do in that situation. But, um, I do think for like a situation like hitting, you just grab that little person and you move them immediately. Right. Um, and, uh, if it's, if it's dishonesty or lying, you got to tag that behavior, say that's, 
um, you know, that was a lie or what you just said wasn't true. You yeah. always tell the truth. Um, yeah, those are does some that really, make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Those are some really great examples. Um, you know, what are some easy ways for us to wreck our kids' life? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. It is much harder to wreck your kids <laughs> than any of us think it is. Yeah. Kids are resilient. They are forgiving. Mm. Um, and the type of parents that worry that they're going to wreck their kids tend to be the type of parents that are not going to wreck their kids. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because they're conscientious people. They're, they're, they're having a thought process where they're like just – please, Jesus, don't let me screw up these kids, you know? But what I see is it tends to not be in a lot of the ways that we focus on. I don't think you're going to wreck your kids by sometimes letting them want, you know, watch a little bit too much screen time. Right. You're not going to wreck your kids by letting them eat junk food or sweets sometimes. You're not going to wreck your kids by letting them stay up past their bedtime. All about moderation. Um, Right. It's about moderation with those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if in terms of, I always like to think spiritually, because honestly, to me, that's the core and the key to all of this. Right. Otherwise, it's just outside in behavior modification. Yeah. Which you don't need God to do. Right. You know, you don't need grace to have effective behavior modification um, techniques. There's yeah a thousand books about it. Mine isn't one of them. Mine is about reaching their heart. Um, and so I think spiritually, so spiritually speaking, if, if you are a believer and if you're telling your kids, our God is big, he's strong, he's mighty. There's Mm -hmm. nothing he can't do. We can trust him. He, he loves us. He has Mm -hmm. our back. Um, we can have faith that, you know, what he says is true. If we're telling them all those things, but if we're living lives based in fear, primarily, Mm. and if we're letting our fear make our decisions for us, because I'm not telling you not to be afraid because fear is an emotion that we can't control. Right. But if, if after we feel that we don't take those thoughts and emotions captive and make them obedient to Christ, like it says in the New Testament, yeah, it, it's that conscious choice to go, okay, I'm feeling afraid right now. Why am I feeling afraid? Okay, how can I lay this fear at the foot of the cross, ask Christ to fill me, give me power and strength to do the hard things that I know I need to do, yeah. even though I'm scared, right? Um, that's courage, actually, right? That's the opposite of fear. Doing the hard thing, the scary thing anyway, is courage. Um, so what I'm saying is, is if, but if we don't actively work to overcome our fears, mm. um, what ends up happening is our kids hear one thing coming from our mouth about God, but then know that we must not believe it. Mm, right. Because if we did, we would not be allowing fear to rule our hearts and our homes and our decision-making. Yeah. And it ends up, you know, this is what I've seen over decades of ministry, of family ministry, is that more than anything else ends up turning kids' hearts away from God. Mm, 
Yeah, they're really great detectors of oh, yeah. inauthenticity, you know, and we tend to underestimate their ability sometimes. They they know exactly who we are. Yeah, our kids just do. Yeah, um, it's that bond that they have with us, and we cannot hide who we really are from our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so ultimately, you know, how do we build character in our kids? How do we how do we show them uh, who God is and mm-hmm. how to love Him and turn their hearts towards Him? We do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we say one thing with our mouth, but live another thing with our lives, that doesn't mean we don't make mistakes, right? But if we consistently live out uh, a different life than what we say we believe, it has a poisonous effect. It can have a poisonous effect on them spiritually, which is the most important thing because all of this other stuff is going to flow from a heart that loves God. Amen. Yeah, that's great. You know, um, share with me some, what are some actionable tips of grace, you know, that you could give us based on grace-based parenting that you would suggest to moms? Yeah. um, I mean, the big one is choose not to take your kid's behavior personally, even Mm -hmm. when it is. Because what that does, and again, pay, pay attention that I said the word choose, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to feel things when your kids do things or don't do things that they're asked to do. You're going to feel a way about it, okay? Yeah. But take just a quick moment, a split second to recognize those feelings. And again, choose not to take it personally. Because what that allows you to do is to respond to them rather than to react to them. Mm. Okay, because when we react, we very often react in ways that are protective to us. Mm. And that's not necessarily what's best for our kids. They need us to respond to them. They need us to rescue them from their own bad choices sometimes. And I don't mean not give them consequences, but I mean, we need to be able to approach them the way a first responder approaches you know, an emergency situation. We are the ones that have to be there to be the boots on the ground that rescue them, except that we feel like we're the one in the burning building with them. Right. So we have to work to overcome those feelings. And, And in the very first part of my book, actually in the introduction, not even, you don't even have to read to the first chapter to get this, but in the very introduction of my book, Grace-Based Discipline, I actually give a visualization exercise that parents can do to help them deescalate their emotions like that. Mm. Um, and I learned this from my brother who is a Phoenix firefighter because I said, how, you know, you must, when you see situations car accidents or or fires or different things that that firefighters respond to you you might be do you feel scared do you feel angry at the people who you know maybe are hurting or harming someone else like how do you manage that and be this calm presence and so he talked about some of the ways that they're trained to compartmentalize those feelings so that they can respond rather than react and so I was like these are great tools that parents need so that's in the very first chapter of my book okay um and then there's also and I'll, I'll read you a couple of these little things but they're uh towards the end where we start to get into some real specific tactics. Mm -hmm. I created what I call the sushi menu of discipline Mm -hmm. tactics. And I called it a sushi menu because, you know, a regular menu, you order 
you know, one entree, maybe an appetizer, right? Yeah. A sushi menu, you can order a lot of things. Yeah. And they all work together to create this great palette, right? Yeah. So with discipline, it's not about doing one thing. It's about a whole host of things and tools in your toolkit that you can turn to. And so, you know, you could do all of these things. You can do one you know, you can kind of decide what's appropriate for the situation, but I'll read you what some of these things are. Tag behavior is the very first one. And this is the one that I say, if you don't know what else to do, and if you don't do anything else, do at least this one thing. What tagging behavior means is naming specifically what the child has done that's inappropriate, Mm. right? Because we can't expect for our kids to meet unwritten rules or un, our unstated expectations. Right. So it's really important that when they have crossed a line that we're specific to say, this is what this was, right? So examples that I gave were like, what you just said wasn't true. Mm-hmm. In our home, we always tell the truth, right? So right. that's an example of specifically tagging behavior so that they know what it is that happened. Um, so if you don't do anything else, do that one. And sometimes you have to do that and then you need to leave some time because you need to think about it or maybe you're in a place where you can't deal with it further. And so you might say, okay, that happened. And so I'm going to take a couple minutes. You're going to mm-hmm. take a couple minutes. We're going to come back and talk about what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that wait can be a good consequence in and of itself. I remember my parents being like, okay, go to your room and we'll come in and we'll talk about what the consequence for your actions is going to be. So that five minutes waiting in my room felt like five years, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that's, I mean, that is an example of like, sometimes just, I mean, depending on the, the personality of your kid, sometimes that's, a, a, you know, part of a consequence in and of itself. Some other things on this list, um, ignore, teach, distract, mm. redirect, use positive reinforcement. So look for positive things. What do you want them to do? Right. Right. Cause there's two kinds of reinforcement. There's negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement. We end up, we think negative reinforcement means consequences. That's not what it means. It means actually reinforcing the behavior you don't want. Mm. Okay. So if they are screaming and you're screaming louder, that's right? not going to help. Right. That is a negative reinforcement of the behavior. That means they're going to keep it up, right? right? So you want to use positive reinforcements. You want to look for what they should do instead. Teach them what they what they do in that moment instead yeah. of what you don't want them to do, right? Um, encouragement, right? Encourage, encourage, look for things about their character that you love because it's really easy in certain phases of parenting and depending on if, you know, if you have real strong willed kids, Mm -hmm. it can be easy for you to start to feel and them to start to feel like everything about them is wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. And they can start to feel like everything I do is wrong. Right. Everything I say is wrong. I'm just wrong, Mm. you know, and they start to live in to that thought process, right? So we can encourage them. And the words we speak over our kids, those words of encouragement can end up being more like prophecies than anything else. Yeah. You know, if we say, you are such a kind 
girl, you're such a helper. I see you find little ways that nobody else notices and you see your friend over there and you went and you helped. I Mm -hmm. saw that, you know, it changes our hearts about our kids too, because it forces us to take a step back. And rather than seeing all their flaws up close like this, we move our hand out Mm -hmm. and, and it gets to a point where, yeah, we, we understand that there are flaws, but it's not all we see. It's not completely blocking our view of them. And we're also noticing the things that are great about them because that's how God sees us. Right. Um, And then uh, engineer their environment for success. Like try to make it as possible as you can for them to be successful. Successful. This sometimes means physical things in the environment. Mm -hmm. It sometimes means rules and expectations. Sometimes we have to adjust our expectations because somehow we've, we've expected something of them that they can't, deliver on, whether that's about their age or stage of development. They might have uh, an emotional or mental disability. They might have a mental health condition Mm. that makes it, that that means that we need to adjust our expectations of them. Um, So, and then the final one that I love is do-overs. And this is a very practical one. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let me show you how this works. Um, You know, my daughter comes in to the kitchen. I'm getting dinner ready. And she says, okay, Hey mom, what's for dinner tonight? And I'm like, I'm just going to do some chicken and rice. And she's like, Oh, seriously chicken again. Like, is that all you know how to make mom? (laughs) Um, I mean, she's not wrong, but like, (laughs) but so sometimes, and this, this one works really, really well with, with words. And so, you know, when they start to get a little older and they get sassy and they say unkind things, this is a really good opportunity to use a do-over to say, uh, wait, pause, rewind, try that again. Yeah. And this takes a little bit of training with your kids for them to know what you mean when you say that, right? Right. So you sort of work up to this, but my kids know what, what this means. When I say pause, rewind, try that again, (laughs) you're giving them an opportunity and they get one shot right? If they escalate it from this point on, then something else happens. Right, right. <laughs> um, but they're, they're being given a shot in the moment to self-assess, to ask themselves, okay, what was it about that interaction that was inappropriate? Yeah. So we, we always are going to respond best to our own assessments of our behavior. Yeah. And then we're going to respond best to our own um, solutions, right? So you go, okay, stop, rewind, try that again. And she goes, oh, hey, mom, what's for dinner? And you say, chicken and rice. And she says, awesome. Um, Would it be okay if I made myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich instead? (laughs) Right? So what do you do? Do you take it personally? Well, you know, you, again, you choose not to take it personally. So I go, (laughs) I go, awesome. That's fine. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I need you to sit with us at dinner, but if you want to eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich that you make yourself, sure, that's great. Yeah. Right? And so that's an example of grace because yeah. you've given her, I've given her an opportunity. What the, the main thing that was wrong with that, right. I mean, I could get a little offended that she doesn't like my chicken and rice cooking, right? <laughs> but what was, what was most wrong with that was the way she spoke to me. Right, yes. And the way that she uh, uh, talked to me. Yeah. In a dishonoring way. We yeah. don't dishonor each other in our family. We yeah. hold each other with respect and esteem. So it was that disrespect and that dishonor that was what was most wrong with that. 
-hmm. not the fact that she didn't want chicken or rice again. Yeah. Okay. I don't always like to eat the same thing all the time. So I get it. (laughs) So when she went back, she spoke in a respectful way. And then she offered a solution that meant I didn't have to do any extra work. She was going to do it. She was going to sit with us. You know, we accomplish our goals. She didn't have to eat something she didn't want to eat, but she ate. Right. And she ate with the family. Like you have to kind of step back and go, what is the goal? Like what's really important? Yeah. We want to eat together as a family and everybody needs to nourish their bodies. Yes. Um, so I think that those do-overs, it's a powerful tool. It so is I definitely mean, powerful. We, we do some do-overs at our house too. I mean, my daughter is young. She's almost three. Yeah. But there are moments where she just whined for something which is so unnecessarily. I said, no, no, no. We don't whine in this house. Let's pause for a second. Can you repeat what you want right. in a proper manner? Right. And then she'll think about it and she'll go, may I have blah, blah, blah. You know, yes. I'm like, yes. okay, that's better. You know, yeah. that's <laughs> really good. And you're training her now to that. Sometimes it isn't about what you say. It's right. how, how you say you what say you say. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's really, really important in her relationships, you know, for everything. So what I used to say when my kids would whine is I would say, darn it man, I'd really, really like to give you what you asked for. But because you're asking me in a whining voice, I can't, I'm not allowed to. (laughs) So, you know, like think about what you want. And then maybe if you can turn off your whiner, yeah. like I would say, like, if you can turn off your whiner and, and ask me differently, I would love to give you what you're asking for, but shoot, I just can't, you know, kind of a thing. And I'd also, I had this thing called the no quota that I would do when my girls were really little. Cause sometimes, you know, it would be 7.45 AM and they've already said no to me like 45 times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and this just kind of came to me, I'm sure out of desperation one morning when I was trying to get my youngest daughter to get in the car to leave, to go somewhere. And she, both of my girls are strong-willed. She's the most strong-willed of the two. And she had already said, I mean, the whole day, it was just a day, a sea of no. Like, yeah. no, I don't want to get dressed. No, I don't want to eat that for breakfast. No, I don't want to put my shoes on. No, I don't want to put my backpack on. No, I don't know where my <laughs> toothbrush is. No, I don't, you know, it was just like, no, 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 no. Finally, we're getting in the car. And I said, can you get into your car seat, please? And she said, no, I no. And, and I just got down on her little level and I said, here's the deal, Miss Lydia. I said, do you know what a quota is? She said, no. I said, a quota is a certain amount of something that you have in a certain time period. You have a no quota. There's a certain amount of times that you can say no to me in a day. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what that is, but I can tell you right now, you've met your quota for the day. So you can't say no anymore. Right. You used up all your nose. So tomorrow, think a little harder when you use your nose. Because <laughs> once they're gone, they're gone. And you can't say no for anything else for the rest of the day. Right. Yeah. Um, and she was a little older than yours. I think she was, you know, she was going to first grade or something like that. So she's seven, six or seven. Um, but that worked. And yeah. then she would, but you know, they're smart, they're smarter than us. So then later, you know, later that week, she was like, mom, I think you've reached your no quota for the day. (laughs) Um, I'm like, yeah, but but at the same time, it does make you think as a parent, you're like, if you're constantly saying no to everything, right. 
it is it is a good thing to self i mean she was being sassy but it did make me think like i need to try try to say yes to everything that i can and yeah. so often we say no to stuff because we're just tired yeah <laughs> we're just tired we don't want to do it um, um, but if we can rally and try to say yes as often as possible and save our nose. Sometimes I oh. just go, maybe we'll, right. we'll see, maybe we will see. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's hard. You're just, you're tired. You've worked right. all day. You've got to make dinner, you know? Um, but, uh, it, it, it does it does help to create that gray space climate in our homes when we can say yes as much as possible. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Karis. That was um, so good. I, I so appreciate you sharing all the gem nuggets with us. Um, you, you shared a lot of amazing things and um, I, I just thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And if I can help more, your, your listeners can reach out to me. Absolutely. Um, and uh, we have a podcast that is every other week, and mm-hmm. we talk about all sorts of this stuff on that podcast, on the Gray Space Families podcast. So um, if I can help more, I would be more than happy. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Gems of Motherhood podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more amazing Gems of Mothers and more resources, head over to Gems of Motherhood where you can subscribe to the show. That's where you'll also find show notes with actionable tips and any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I hope you'll find inspiration and learn to cultivate your own journey. You are loved. You're an incredible gem to God. He knows you intimately. He knows what you're going through and he knows what you need. Remember, you are fearfully and wonderfully made in him. Be sure to tune in to our next episode next week.